welcome to the Turkey Hunter Podcast with me, your host, Andy Galliano. In this podcast, I share with turkey hunters just like you how to have more turkeys on your hunting property and how to have more successful turkey hunts. I teach you how to do this with tips and interviews with turkey hunting pros, wildlife management tips, and entertaining turkey hunting stories. Tune in weekly as I share proven and simple strategies to help you have more success this turkey season. Make sure to head over to www.iamturkeyhunting.com to subscribe to receive free turkey hunting tips, tactics, strategies, and product reviews. Also, please visit and like my Facebook fan page. Go to Facebook and search I Am Turkey Hunting. And also feel free to post your turkey hunting photos from this past season and let us know where and when you killed your bird. For all of you Twitter users out there, please follow me on Twitter where my handle is at turkeyhitman and I will be sure to follow you back. And now, for this week's show. Hello and welcome back to this week's episode of the Turkey Hunter Podcast. You are listening to episode number 249 an interview with a new turkey hunter with Judy Camuso. And I am your host and the guy who wore the fish out this past Sunday morning. I'll tell you a little bit more about it in just a second, but right now we are 226 days, 10 hours, 4 minutes, and 41 seconds away from opening day of spring turkey season in Alabama. I know when I sit here and I look at the math, that's seven and a half months away. But I probably, like most of you, tend to look at a year not as a year, but in seasons. So we just have a few seasons to go before turkey season starts in Alabama. We have football season about to start, then deer season will start, Then the holiday season comes in, and then deer season wraps up, and then football season wraps up about the same time, and then we get into turkey preseason. So really, I don't look at it like we're seven and a half months away, because in my mind, we are football season, deer season, holiday season, deer season, and then we are staring turkey season in the face. It's right around the corner, and I couldn't be more excited about it. So this past Sunday morning, I took my dad fishing, and this is pretty pitiful, I think, but I believe it's the first time in two years that he and I have fished together. Well, other than our big fishing trip last fall to Guatemala, but we went bass fishing down at my property south of Birmingham, and I brought home and cleaned 24 bass, and we threw back probably six bass that were too big that were over our 17-inch keeper limit. So those got to go back and swim around some more, eat some more fish, and hopefully get a little bit bigger so I can catch them next year. I can tell you, I think I broke my line three or four times setting the hook on fish, and we probably, I'd say all totaled between the two of us, had another six or eight fish get off the line before we could get them to the boat. So we had a pretty darn good four to five hours worth of fishing. And I can't think of anybody else that I would have rather spent that time with. It was a great morning all the way around. Now listen up. I have an awesome interview for you guys today with Judy Camuso, who is the commissioner of the Department of Inland Fisheries and Wildlife in the state of Maine. And Judy's got a very interesting story. Normally, I would intro the guest a little bit, but we're talking about her pretty much the entire interview. So you're going to learn a little bit more about Judy. Actually, you're going to learn a lot more about Judy coming up. She has a very interesting story, and I think it's something that we really all can learn from. And if you listened to last week's episode, think back and reflect on some of the talking points that the four or five presenters of the seminar, The Future of Hunting, gave us at the NWTF convention. And think about those while you're listening to Judy in this interview, because I think there's some great opportunities for us to learn a few tips and a few hints from this conversation with Judy that might help us bring in another hunter or two 
into the ranks. So listen in close, and I'll see you guys on the other side. Hey, everybody. I am glad to tell you that I have on the line with me today Judy Camuso, who is the commissioner of the IFW in Maine, and that is the Inland Fisheries and Wildlife. And I wanted to get Judy on today to chat with her because she's got a very interesting story. And I want to dig in a little bit deeper with Judy about her story because I feel like there's probably some opportunities for us hunters to learn a little bit about some ways that maybe we can recruit some other people into the sport of hunting. And so, Judy, thank you for taking time out of your schedule to come on with us today. How are you, and where exactly in the great state of Maine are you? Great. Thank you, Andy. I am very well, and I am in Augusta, Maine today. Okay. Yeah. Fantastic. Hmm? All right. So, Judy, will you tell us a little bit about your background, both personally and professionally, and tell us exactly what you do now. I told everybody you're the commissioner of the IFW, but give us a little bit more insight as to what all that entails. Sure. So I'm a wildlife biologist, and I uh, started my career at Maine Audubon, which is a nonprofit here in Maine focused mostly on birds. And so that is sort of my background on game birds. And uh, I worked for Audubon for about 11 years, and an opportunity with the state opened up to do as a wildlife biologist in one of the regional offices. And it's probably the only job I would have considered leaving Audubon for, but I applied for it and got it, much to my surprise. And I started working for the state as a biologist, and I kind of moved up through the ranks. I worked in the regional office for like seven years, and then I came to our Augusta office, and, and it kind of like catapulted to wildlife director within like eight months' time. So I went from being kind of the lowest person in the hierarchy to like kind of the top in the wildlife division within within a year's time. So that was a bit of a transition for me. And then shortly after I became director, my state was faced with a referendum on our bear hunting methods. And as director, I was the spokesperson for the agency on that. And we, we did prevail in that referendum, but that certainly gave me a lot of experience just in kind of how we communicate with the public, how we talk to the public, what the public knows about their state agency, what they think about us, and gave me some really strong visions for what I kind of wanted to do as director and where I wanted to take the wildlife division. And then once I started getting settled into my position as as wildlife director, pretty, it was only, I guess it was like five years, but probably only three and a half years after the referendum kind of finished up, I was just appointed uh, commissioner. So I am now the first woman ever to be commissioner of Maine Fish and Wildlife. And um, I've been in this position since January, so about six months now, so eight months, I guess. And as commissioner, I oversee like all the rules and regulations for the agency. I have about 325 staff, a $52 million budget, so I oversee all that stuff. But I think my real job is to try and find a, a vision for the agency and to kind of move the ship in the direction toward the future and to try and inspire people to move with me. Yeah. So just a random question. How involved yeah. is the IFW in setting bag limits and season dates? Oh, yeah. Yeah, so we set all that stuff. So we okay. set the bag limits, the season dates. So either we do it through rule or we would ask our legislative committee to do it. So the legislature doesn't always give us everything we want, but that's we would be the agency that would, would make those requests. So, okay. Yeah, yeah, I know that most states, it actually is the state legislature that actually puts the majority of that into into law or into yep. rule. So yep. I figured yep. it would be the same way with you guys. Yeah, yeah, it is. Good. Well, I want to get a little turkey hunting story from you. As you well know, this is a turkey hunting podcast, and I love turkey hunting stories. And you actually have a very good one from this past season that I I read about on the Internet. But I want to hear it from your mouth and hear your perspective of it, because this was your, correct me if I'm wrong, but this was your first season to turkey hunt ever? Yeah, yeah. Okay. It was, yeah. And yeah. now, 
being a wildlife biologist, you mm-hmm. are or have been exposed to hunting, but you haven't oh, yeah. really hunted until recently either. Yeah, right. Okay. Yeah. All right. So yeah, I didn't grow up in a hunting family and grew up outside of Boston in, in, in a very urban area. And it was one of my biggest sort of things that I would kind of complain about when I became director is like, I'm the director of wildlife and it's, and it's not easy for me to get into hunting. So, and I have access to all these people that I know would help me if I asked. And so for those people that didn't grow up in a hunting family, but aren't the director of wildlife, how do we get them involved? Because it's a big obstacle to go from being a non-hunter to, you know, using a, a, a firearm and killing an animal. So there's a big, there's a big leap there. And so I was perpetually sort of frustrated with how difficult it was for someone like me who I work with, you know, 45 other biologists and 125 game wardens. It's difficult for me to get involved. So how's the rest of the world do it? And so, but in this also, everybody, you know, has time restrictions and, you know, hunting isn't something that's like, uh, it's, it's not like you just, you don't, you know, like in the morning I go for a run every day, right? So, but that's like a 45 to an hour minute commitment. Like it's, it's not a 45 minute commitment when you're going to go out hunting, you know, exactly. it's usually, it's a, it's a significant amount of time that you have to invest. And in. so breaking down some of those barriers were kind of one of my goals or I wanted to figure out how to do it and... So when I became commissioner, I realized pretty quickly. So as wildlife director, I still spend a good deal of time in the field or at least spend some time in the field. But I realized as commissioner, I I wasn't really going to have that opportunity as much. And so I needed to make space, more space in my personal life to be outside and do the things that I, you know, kind of restore me, if you will. Mm -hmm. And I... For some health reasons, I, I was a vegetarian for like 15, 18 years. And for health reasons, I had to switch my diet up. And the doctors were pretty clear that they wanted me to get more animal protein, more, more protein directly from, you know, beef or other animals. And so I was really interested in getting that food myself and not not supporting kind of factory farms and just go into the grocery store and get in, getting a package of meat. And so I, I'd been deer hunting a few times, but never successfully. And I think I, I probably talked too much <laughs> for us to be a good deer hunter. <laughs> so but my, it's great for a podcast interview. <laughs> usually I'm with someone and I'm that. I, I can, I can, I can. But so I, you know, I wanted to try um, turkey hunting. And I met with a group group of women this spring and to try and women that all participate in hunting or fishing or outdoor activities and wanted to talk. We talked about what are the barriers to participation and why don't we have more women participating in these activities. And as a result of that, one of the women invited me to go turkey hunting, one of the women I was meeting with. So I, I said, sure, I'd love to do that. And, but word quickly spread that the commissioner was going to go turkey hunting with uh, somebody that was not a staff person <laughs> and they didn't like that. <laughs> so all the staff were figuring out, we got to get her out. We got to get her out someplace. You know, we let's take her. We could go here. And they found all these other places. They wanted, everybody kind of wanted to, you know, make sure that I had a positive experience. I mean, it, it was very, I was very lucky and fortunate, but one of the women that I work with, Liz also offered to come out hunting with me. And so the, the first woman, Christy, and I went out hunting, turkey hunting, and had an awesome day. I mean, I just loved it. It was a beautiful morning, and we sat in, in a blind for a while, and then we did a little spot and stalking and calling, and we saw some turkeys, and we heard turkeys, but never close enough that you, you could actually, you know, get nowhere near close enough to, to shoot at them. Right. Um, but it was a wonderful morning, and I still loved it. And there was tons of birds. We saw all kinds of wildlife. It was just a great way to spend the morning. And then probably a week later, I went out with another woman, Liz, that I work with, and we went on a friend's property. And so part of the issue for me is that I, you know, I do have limited time, and so I wanted to go someplace kind of close to my house where I live. So mm-hmm. we have a mutual coworker that suggested his property would be a good place, and so we went and he would set up a blind for his daughter, actually. So we went and, and used his blind and... 
and stop me if you want me to like stop talking and like jump in with questions because I am a chatterer. Yeah, keep uh, going. This is what I want to okay. know. I love the story part. <laughs> so Liz and I met at like I don't know four fifteen or something in the morning and drove over to John's and we had just a quick walk up to the to the blind and within minutes of being in the blind we could hear turkey calling and off in the distance and Liz's and she had told me like she gave me some rules ahead of time and first of all was but if the if the turkeys stand out don't shoot because very often that when they're fanned out like that the shot won't penetrate so wait till he you know tucks his feathers back down so I kind of knew that and had my gun all ready and sort of in position inside the blind and we heard the turkey calling, and he'd be quiet, and then he'd call. And Liz was Liz is a great caller, so she was calling, and and then we saw a female in the field in front of us, and Liz was like, "Oh shoot! If he sees that female, he might not come to us. If he has a actual, you know, bird that he's kind of interacting with, he, yeah. we might not get him um, to come to out? us." Yeah, 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 we did. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I should have said that. Sorry, we had like three, three or four decoys out. So, at any rate, we were calling, and and I'm like, no, oh, he's coming. He's getting closer. And Liz was like, I'm not sure. And I'm like, no, he's definitely getting closer. And and so she kept calling, and he was calling, and and I'm like, he's coming though. He and he came up from like behind us, and we couldn't see behind through the back of the blinds with mm-hmm. a little flap up. And I'm like, Liz, he's so close. He's you know, and I'm whispering, of course, because. You know, we don't want to make noise, and I'm I'm like so excited, and she's like, okay, get get ready, so I'll get my gun ready, and 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 she's sort of sitting sideways in the blind, and so she can still call, and and I'm waiting, and and the the tom comes in, and he's so close, but he's all fanned out, he's puffed up, and you can hear him like when they uh, sort of like flap their wings and like you know, and mm-hmm. um, you can hear him, and he's so close, you can like feel the vibrations, and. And she's like, you know, go ahead, shoot. And I'm like, but he was all fanned out. And I'm like, no, he's all fanned out. <laughs> she's like, but he's like, well, he's only like 10 feet away. I mean, he's like so close, we could have practically reached out and grabbed him. And she's like, no, go ahead, shoot. And I'm like, no, he's all fanned out. And I, the, one of the first things I said to her, which she, afterwards, she still made fun of me, because I'm like, oh, he's so cute. He's all fanned out. Look at him, you know. And uh-huh. she thought to herself, oh, no, he's so cute. She's not going to shoot it. And um, so then she's like, oh, he's close enough. Go ahead and shoot. So I shot and dropped him. And then I was so excited. I mean, I jumped up and, you know, got my safety on. I started crying. I'm hugging Liz and she's crying. And we're both like, I mean, I was shaking. I was so excited. And yeah, so it was a great, great morning. And I guess the part that was, there was like two parts that were pretty awesome for me and powerful. And one was just being able to, you know, like cook that turkey and eat food that I got myself. Yeah. I have a pretty extensive vegetable garden, so, you know, I, I like knowing what goes into the food I eat, and so I, I was really happy to be able to get myself that with those multiple meals. And then also I just was, like, so bonded to Liz. It was like I didn't really expect that. It was just I, I guess I had not thought about it, but... I'd always heard these stories about how bonding, you know, hunting right. is. And I just always thought it was kind of like, oh, you go for a walk with people and you chit chat and you connect or whatever. But I did not realize like how actual the, the, the process of like harvesting that bird kind of with her just totally bonded, bonded me to her. Yeah. Yeah. So it's pretty amazing. Yeah, it really is. It, yeah. If yeah. you ever see, want to see something funny and strange, you should see me hunting with one of my buddies, one of my male yeah. friends, and we kill a turkey, and I, you know, I'll either he kills or I kill, or we both kill, and I jump up and give him a big hug out in the middle of the woods. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. Right. yeah, yeah, it's so awesome. It's it really kind of weird, you know. Yeah. I'm sure somebody yeah. Yeah. watching from far away would be like, "What in the world? <laughs> what is they doing?" <laughs> no, it was it was such a wonderful experience, and. And then we went back and took a lot of pictures, and John and his wife and his little daughter came out and all examined my bird, and we went and tagged it, and, you know, I was I was pretty pleased with myself, I will say. Yeah. <laughs> Texted everybody pictures of all my friends and people I work with, and I was, you know, I was going to text people, and I'm like, I looked at Liz, I'm like, wait a minute, it's not even 6 o'clock in the morning, I can't text people yet. <laughs> he was like, they're all biologists, they should be up by now, go ahead That's and text right. them. 
That's right. Yeah, you're not going to disturb yeah. them. And even if you do, no. they'll, be, they'll be excited for you. So. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, yeah. you know, given your educational background and your professional career of being a biologist and, and coming through the ranks that way, you've been around hunting or exposed to mm-hmm. it in that light for mm-hmm. yeah. quite a long time. Yeah. I mean, even through school, uh-huh. I would imagine, but you've never... Mm-hmm. You never hunted, so what uh, was it? Just your conversation with the doctors with about your health well, that got you interested in it. What what really? So it was kind of a combination of things, and and one is like I always totally supported hunting, and right. and for me as a wildlife biologist, this is just such an essential management tool, right? So I I fully supported it. I just didn't know how to do it. And there's so many things that I do know how to do that I just never made time. And honestly, as a biologist in, especially working in the, in the regional office, you, you get, you can, I could get venison mm-hmm. easily without having to harvest the animal myself because right. there's a lot of animals that roadkill or whatever else, the game wardens have to dispatch an animal. So I had access to game meat so that the, there wasn't the urgency for me to procure it myself because... I could, I generally got some every year. So for me, the difference was really, it was kind of a combination of, and in the past in my profession, I, during my work time, spent a lot of time outside anyway. And so now when I sort of switched jobs and became commissioner, and now, surprisingly, I don't have access to that game meat anymore. (laughs) As commissioner, I don't don't get it anymore now that I'm not in the regional office. So it was kind of a combination of that and knowing that I needed to just make time to do those things outside that I that I wanted to do. So it was kind of a combination of my new job and and then I did I I read a couple articles about climate change and the you know some of the things that people can do uh, as individuals to minimize their footprint. And the number one thing on all the articles I read was, you know, procure your food locally. So don't have food shipped all across the country to to buy, you know, fresh whatever year round and get you to source your your meat locally and stop supporting farm, you know, beef that are being raised down in South America where they're deforesting, you know, mountains to grow cattle that's inexpensive right so stop stop supporting that industry and, and honestly that's why i was a vegetarian for so long was that i mean and I, I know there are lots of very you know supportive and organic and healthy farms where animals are treated very well but i also know that there's there's a lot that aren't so right. for me it was more than anything i just didn't want to be i didn't want to participate or take the risk that i would be supporting farms that were just sort of the factory farm and here in the northeast it's not really as much of an issue but i don't know that the meat i get at hannaford is from the northeast or from our local grocery store you know i have no idea where it comes from and so for me it was just i didn't i didn't want to be associated with what i thought was just not not humane treatment of animals and it's sort of contradictory because i personally view hunting as like the most humane way to treat an animal so I know a lot of people on the other side of the fence don't see it that way, but I do. Yeah. And so I just wanted, so, you know, so I was vegetarian for a lot of reasons, mostly around animal rights reasons, to be honest. And so when I decided that I needed to start eating more meat, I made the conscious decision that I wanted to eat either, you know, animals that I harvested myself or get a friend that every year grows a pig for me. And so, you know, I try to get my meat from local sources. So it was a kind of a combination of things of my new job and just making a little more time and read a few kind of articles about climate change and decided, you know what, you need to, you need to like act on this and go turkey hunting. Yeah. Yeah. Plus it's so exciting. I mean, and you, you know, it's like of all, I mean, I I just think there's so much interaction between you and the animal and it's just, I just thought it was so great. Yeah. So it's it, a great way to start. Definitely. Yeah, it it is. There's nothing about it that I don't like. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Compared to deer hunting where I'm sitting out in a tree stand mm-hmm. for hours at a time just Right, right. You know, 
left alone in my own head, that's pretty scary. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I have some something, even if I'm by myself, I have something in the woods to interact with. Yeah, yep. and, and yeah. It's, it's yep. a whole different yeah. aspect, so, yeah. Yeah. So um, my next question I was going to ask you was, your reasons for choosing the vegetarian lifestyle, and you you answered that. But mm. you, so you didn't grow up in a vegetarian household. It was something you oh, adopted no. later. Yeah, in yeah, yeah. Life. No, my family like they they just my mother loathed the fact that I became vegetarian. She didn't know what to do with me. It was like really? this. Oh yeah, because we I grew up in a meat and potatoes family. If my mom could eat meat every day of the week, I mean she did eat meat every day of the week, and we we grew up Catholic, so. You know, on Fridays during Lent, we couldn't have meat, and that was, like, the biggest sacrifice on the planet for my mother. Um, so, no, absolutely. I, I we, did, <laughs> we did not, I did not grow up vegetarian, and, yeah, it was just a choice I made when I went to college and imposed on my, my family for quite a long time. I mean, you know, shortly after college, I moved, you know, moved, was living on my own, so it wasn't too big a deal. I just cooked whatever. Yeah. Yeah, so. you were vegetarian and not vegan. Yeah, right? no, I okay. never went the vegan. Never went to to the vegan route, and mostly just just you know like cheese and eggs, just stuff that I you know relied on to for Maybe. eating. Then I just I wasn't willing to go that far. Yeah. You were still getting some protein from those sources. Yeah. So, yeah, 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 yeah. Cheese, like pizza in particular, was that's the mainstay. <laughs> yeah. So. So, I guess. You know, you that field to plate movement mm. was a huge yep. reason for you, if not the reason for you, mm-hmm. as to why you yeah. chose to start hunting. Yep. So, as someone who really entered the sport of hunting for that reason, what kind of information or talking points about that movement were most important in your decision to start hunting? And from there, do you have any suggestions on how hunters can bring up that topic as a good way to recruit other people into mm-hmm. hunting? Yeah, I guess you know. For me, I, I'm I'm a pretty healthy person, or I try to be pretty healthy. Mm-hmm. And so, for me, the whole idea of the animal lived its whole life in the wild—it hasn't been injected with any kind of antibiotics or growth hormones, or I mean, it, it's totally organic, free range, and. You know, it's and it died in a very fast, humane way. So I know all those things about this animal, and so I just personally liked, I like knowing what's going into the food that I'm going to consume. Um, same with the vegetables that I grow in my backyard. I know what I've, you know, what I've treated them with, or how I've, you know, how they've uh, grown. And so for me, that was important. And you know, and I think a lot of people, I think the trend in a lot of of new hunters is really for uh, people who are looking to have a more organic and a more sustainable lifestyle. And so I think this fits in perfectly with that. I think that my agency, I know, is working to help kind of break down some of those barriers for people that want to get into hunting and don't have, you know, an uncle or an aunt or a parent that can help them we have some programs to help them. I know a lot of other state agencies are doing the same thing, mentor programs, and backcountry hunters and anglers have a great program to help people. I think, you know, the challenge for a lot of people is kind of twofold, and if you're not comfortable with firearms, then that's an obstacle. So I was not comfortable, uh-huh. never used a gun before I came to this agency, um, and I'm still not entirely comfortable with firearms. I'm totally comfortable if I'm with someone else that is comfortable with the firearm Mm -hmm. and I am a relatively good shot, but I'm still nervous around firearms. And so that's a big obstacle for me. And so I think that's a lesson for hunters to just keep in mind that not uh, most non, you know, people that didn't grow up in a shooting sport or a hunting family aren't that comfortable with firearms. And so that's something that we, I think, have to help them with. The other thing that I, in talking with other women in particular, I know is a challenge for women is like how to gut an animal. So having 
worked as a biologist. That wasn't an obstacle for me, but I can certainly understand where field dressing an animal is intimidating. And likewise, I think a lot of state agencies are working to try and give those demonstrations and give people those skills so it's not as overwhelming. I mean, there is a lot to it, you know, from the firearm to the field dressing it to, you know, processing the meat. It's, you know, there's kind of a lot of steps. So I think that making sure that people have access to help and that, you know, in all honesty, and, and hunters in general, don't they didn't really like to hear this from me when I was wildlife director, but it's not the most welcoming group of people. You know, you, right. you're sometimes, you know, if you're not an avid hunter, you're kind of looked down on, and that's, that's not the way I want my agency to be. I want us to be inclusive and to be welcoming and supportive, and particularly nowadays when the numbers of people participating in those activities are declining, we need to do everything we can to make sure people feel welcomed and helped and that there's no, there's no stupid questions. There's nothing, you know, you know, we don't can do anything wrong. We're going to help you through it. And, and these are, these are some tips that can make it easier for you. So that's kind of my approach, but. Yeah. You know, you've touched on something that really is huge and for me, I grew up hunting. My dad took me hunting, taught me all about it. When we were fortunate enough to harvest a deer when I could keep my rear end still enough when I was young to, you know, either me kill one or he kill one. You know, I learned how to field dress one from him. And, yeah. and maybe it's much different for a boy that grew up playing in mud and, you know, two older brothers that, you know, we used to beat yeah. the crap out of each other all the time out in the yard. Yeah. We'd yeah. never come home yeah. if it was light outside. <laughs> and, you know, all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. And, but not everybody's like me. And so, yeah. you know, that I've got friends that are, I guess, new-ish to hunting, mm-hmm. that it still yep. turns their stomach at the thought mm-hmm. of cleaning a deer right. or cleaning yep. any animal. And yep. so that is... A turnoff that's a uh, yeah. prohibits them or you know wants mm-hmm. makes them want to mm-hmm. stop hunting. Yep. So, mm-hmm. um, I, I last week I replayed or I played the seminar from the NWTF convention in Nashville that the title of it was the future of hunting and yep. Jeremiah Dowdy the guy I, I can't remember the name of his website but it's something filled filled to table or something like that is his mm-hmm. website but. He was on there talking about that, and he said, you know, for people that are new to the sport where that is intimidating, mm-hmm. we stress to them that there is a processor who can right. process that meat for you within a yep. short drive of wherever you are yep. in your state. Yep. And yep. so, yes, you may lose mm-hmm. sight of that animal from the time that you drop it off until you pick it back up, but they've right. done nothing to it other than cut it up. Yep. Yep. You know, yep. so hopefully that would be a good way to to you know, yeah. for us to get people over that fear of having to field dress something. Yeah, and so. I mean, I think the you know the other thing that I really want to promote, and and I too grew up like I mean we weren't allowed to come inside. I mean I was the youngest of six, so I think my mother, you know, but there were so many of us that she was like, get out of this house and mm-hmm. <laughs> stop making a mess. So. <laughs> You know, we, we weren't allowed to, I mean, we were not allowed in the house unless it was like a blizzard or torrential rain. So, you know, I grew up outside my whole life and um, we came home when street light, street lights came on. But I think there are a lot of people like me that you can't, they don't see themselves as a hunter because all the images and all, everything that's portrayed about hunting is, and in, in, I think it's changing, but it's mostly been white men. And so you don't mm-hmm. see yourself doing that if you can't picture it. There's no pictures showing somebody that looks like you doing it. It's hard to picture yourself doing it. Mm-hmm. And so that's another thing that I really want to promote is like, this is for everybody. I, if I can do this, like I'm not your typical, I, I don't look like most hunters. Right. And, 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 but if I can do it, so can you, and you sh- look at me and picture yourself and we can do this together. And so that's one of the things I'm actually going to be meeting with the CEO of El Bean in a couple of weeks to talk about trying to get more images of women, more clothing for women, more uh, opportunities so women can see themselves doing these things and not just like having a dad or a brother that would take you, but having a woman that would take you. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to try and kind of change the face of hunting a little bit. 
yeah. And not not to the exclusion of anybody. I mean, everybody in exactly. my in my vision, everybody's welcome, no matter what you look like. Yeah. No, you're exactly right. So I have to know. So box for the day. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I have to know about the wild turkey that you harvested. How how did you cook it, and just what were your thoughts about the entire experience from the anticipation of the hunt? Because there was a lot of uh, yeah. there were a lot of people who wanted you to go with them to harvesting oh, yeah. the yep. animal to actually yep. knowing that when you sat down with that turkey on your plate that yep. you did that. So yeah, how'd you cook it yeah. first? So I mean, I cooked it that same night, right? So awesome. I, I, oh, so um, Liz and I, you know, I. Uh, cut it out you know whatever we, we got all the meat out and and i marinated it in a little this is like my go-to marinade for a lot of game so it's like a combination of equal parts italian dressing a uh, little orange juice some brown sugar some worcestershire sauce and some soy sauce and then a little onion and garlic and so i marinated it for the day and i cooked it up and stir fried it and and ate it and one of the guys I work with came in the next day and he asked he's like he's like how was it I'm like oh it was great he's like what did you eat it with and I'm like nothing he's like what do you mean nothing I'm like I just stir fried it he's like you didn't roast any vegetables you didn't have any rice or anything I'm like no I just ate turkey that's all he ate was turkey (laughs) he was so disappointed that I hadn't like I'm like I was so excited to eat the turkey I couldn't think about any anything else on the plate like I ate a a significant amount of turkey Uh It was, I mean, it was awesome. It was great. And then uh, a couple of weeks later, I made like a turkey pot pie, which is mm-hmm. also fantastic. So yeah, did I have you probably use enough the for thighs for that. No, no, I still I haven't cooked the thighs yet. Okay. So I think I'm going to put them in like a slow cooker, maybe use them in a soup or something like that. Yeah, definitely slow cook those. And yeah, I've been, and I don't know if you are familiar with it, but I've been using a sous vide to cook my thighs oh is that the like where you boil it in the yeah. in the bag yeah. i just saw that on the cooking show the other day i do like to cook so i watch kind of a lot of cooking shows highly, oh that's interesting I highly highly recommend a sous vide for huh. cooking really any wild game because it'll oh. bring that water temperature up to the temperature yep. that the meat needs to be cooked to and it will just keep yep. it there yeah so it's huh. almost impossible to overcook and to overcook thighs, it well that's great yeah. they're easy to overcook so yeah you yep. Get Be a, careful. It's a good investment. Sous vide's a good yeah, investment. Yeah. So, oh, that's great advice. Yeah. Yeah. So tell me, I guess, a little bit more about your thoughts of that entire experience, just from planning the hunt to actually yep. getting out there to harvesting the animal to field dressing it and cooking it. I mean, what what did that did that give you a better understanding of the full spectrum of the sport of hunting? Oh, oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it was one of the best days really, I would say. I mean, in considering the fact that, you know, in, in the past year I was uh, nominated and confirmed as commissioner. I went to um, my first ever ball, uh, you know, uh, the governor's ball. And mm-hmm. I've had a lot of pretty cool things this year. It's one of the best days of the year by far, just in something I will never, ever forget. And I've already made plans to go hunting with Liz. So we we'll go bird hunting this fall. We'll probably go deer hunting as well. Mm-hmm. And I, what I, I do like the social aspect of it. I have a tree stand up in my backyard. I had it up last year as well for deer hunting. And last year I did a lot of target shooting, borrowed a firearm from one of the guys I work with, and I did a lot of target shooting. And I had my tree stand, and I put that up, and I did a lot of sitting up in my tree stand, but I never went up in the tree stand with the firearm because that was a little too overwhelming for me still. Mm-hmm. And so this year I'm hopeful that I can get up into the tree stand with a gun. <laughs> if not, maybe next year I'll bring a crossbow. And then we just ch- changed the law so that next year you'll be able to use a crossbow. Okay. So... Um, I'm not, for some reason the crossbow doesn't intimidate me, intimidate me nearly as much as a as a firearm does. But so Liz and I will go hunting this fall, and so I, I do like that social aspect. I like the kind of being quiet up and sitting up in a tree stand. I do enjoy that solitude, but for a couple hours, not for like a whole day. And and I like the social aspect of going out and hunting with someone and sharing that experience with them. So mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. All right. So as someone who's been exposed to firearms pretty much his entire life, 
Mm. Being intimidated by them is not a bad thing. No, I know, right? Yeah, so, definitely. Yeah, yeah, we can we yeah. can get way too comfortable with them, and we yep. need we yep. need that level of intimidation to some extent. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, no, I agree. Yeah, the, the comfort yeah. should come from being comfortable knowing how to use it, yep. not the comfort of having it in your hand because that's right. when we get reckless with it. So yeah, yep. yeah, yeah, yeah. And so what? Just out of curiosity's sake, what kind of programs do you guys have in Maine for training for firearms? Is there anything that's that the Game and Fish Department does as far as training? I know mm-hmm. you've got the Hunter's Ed, and that's probably part of it, but is there a, like a next yeah. step? So we have a couple things. One, we just built a new range, and it's not actually it's not open yet, but it should be open like in another week. I mean, so one of the things we are going to be offering there are some instruction for people who are new and want some firearms instruction. And so we'll, we will have those programs at the, at the range that, that we manage. We also, for the first time this year, have a mentored hunt out on one of our properties that has a kind of grossly uh, abund- overabundant deer population. And so yeah. this weekend is actually the first. So people sign up, and it's a little bit, it's not quite answer your question, but so the requirements to participate in this hunt were you have to have some familiarity with firearms but never have harvested a deer before. And so we felt that we couldn't probably tackle both things at the same time, so we just kind of started with people that have, this is the first program like this we've done ever, so we'll see how this goes and then kind of make adjustments. But so the I think there's 10 hunters that have familiarity with a gun but have never harvested a deer. And so this weekend they'll go out and they'll have experience of gutting and processing a deer and preparing the meat. Then in like the next weekend, they go and they do some firearm training, practice, and they have another weekend. So there's like a four weekend or four days that they participate with there. So everybody has a mentor. So it's mm-hmm. one-on-one, and we have our staff people teaching the, the hunters or the participants and then in the end, hopefully quite a few people will actually be able to harvest a deer and have that experience with, a, a, you know, a mentor that has had, you know, a significant amount of experience and has some skills with kind of teaching. And we're hopeful that if that model works, then we can sort of work with our rod and gun club network. This is a number of clubs across the state and have them kind of adapt in a similar model to have opportunities for people to go out with someone so that if you don't have someone in your family or in your network, that there are people available that are willing to take you out and, and help you. So so that's kind of more toward the harvesting and animal part. And we will, as I said, be working on developing, in addition to the hunter, hunter safety stuff, some kind of ongoing opportunities for people to come out and practice and have some firearms instructions with qualified range instructors. And we have a whole team of um, firearms instructors here in the office so that and and we'll have both men and women helping teach those courses so that people people feel comfortable and safe in that environment using those weapons yeah yeah very good yeah my last question for you is you mentioned Mm -hmm. that you've got some bird hunting planning or planned with liz but yes when is your next trip and is it for birds uh, yeah, so Liz and I are probably going to go bird hunting. I got a couple fishing trips coming up, but Liz and I are probably going to go bird hunting the second weekend in October, I think. Mm-hmm. And then we will go deer hunting in November. So Liz has a couple of kids as well, so I kind of get have to fit in around her children. <laughs> She's got to take her kids too. So um, Absolutely nothing wrong with that. No, no, yeah. yeah. That's awesome. And so, yeah, we're actually thinking about doing a girls' weekend, myself and a few other of the women that uh, work together and and go bird hunting. uh, I think the second weekend of October. Yeah. Uh, Okay. I'm. I'm. I told you it was my last question, but I lied. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) How, as a woman, how important is it, or was it, to you to have a female mentor? Oh, it was instrumental. Yeah, absolutely. Totally important. So, I mean, for, for a lot of reasons. One, I'm not, I don't feel like, um, well, for one, in my experience, men, as well-meaning as they are, they often have a tendency to want to let me show you 
right? So then they take the weapon away and and then mm-hmm. physically, you know, show you. And so the, they, I think men in general just have a different learning style than women. So it's a lot easier for me to learn from a woman. Um, I'm also not, I'm not worried about how I look in front of Liz. I'm not worried about she's going to, if I screw up, what she's going to think. It's just it's so much for me, and I'm not saying this is the case for everybody, but for me it was so much easier to be with a woman. And I just kind of, all of those, anxieties about like making sure what if I don't what if the turkey's only 10 feet away and I miss like what if I don't by shooting and I don't hit it like all those things those potential embarrassing things for me just were just weren't there with with another woman mm-hmm. and so for me that was really critical to my success I think and my comfort in participating in it and that's not to say because I've had some really wonderful men who have taken me out and taken time and, and helped me a lot. But I think just for me, having another woman just made it a lot, a lot better for me. Yeah, I think that's important that you shared that with us. And so mm. hopefully that'll mm-hmm. be a good incentive for some of the women listening to the show to get yeah. in and, and participate in these mentor programs as well. Yeah, yeah, please. <laughs> yeah. So that's that's great. Okay, so you mentioned your bird hunting. What birds are on your menu? Grouse. Grouse. Oh, grouse. Okay. Yeah, we'll go grouse hunting. Yeah. yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. All right. Well, Judy, I really appreciate this. This has been a pleasure speaking with you. But thank you. Also, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, it's been very interesting learning more about your story, and then you know I think you've given us some really good tips and some insight from someone who was a vegetarian, but yeah. <laughs> was not necessarily anti-hunting. Right. Yeah. And, or I, I can't say necessarily, I should say who was not oh, no, anti-hunting. Not yeah. So that's yeah. been very insightful, but also, you know, as a new hunter, yeah. it's been very insightful learning, you know, your, your thoughts and opinions and your progress into this sport. And I thank you very much for your time and good luck to you this coming hunting season. Great. Thank you so much, Andy. Thank you for reaching out and for for having me on your podcast. Yeah, glad to do it. Let's do it again sometime soon. And I hope to see some pictures of of you with a deer or two from this season. (laughs) That would be cool. That would be be a lot of fun. All right. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Have a great day, and I'll be in touch with you. Thanks. Okay, great. Thanks. Uh, Goodbye. Bye-bye. Okay, I hope that you enjoyed the interview with Judy half as much as I enjoyed interviewing her. It was a lot of fun. And very insightful as well. Hey, a couple of takeaways for me from my conversation with her is her comment about hunters a lot of times not being very welcoming to new hunters. But after thinking about what she said and looking back at quite a few occurrences over the years, she's right. I can remember multiple times being at deer camp and a new hunter comes in to camp, joins the club that I'm hunting in, and people are quick to talk about him or her behind that person's back, saying they don't know what they're doing. You know, they're always messing something up. They walked in on them because they didn't know one food plot over another. And eventually what ends up happening is those of us who are avid hunters will turn our backs on the new hunters because they don't know what they're talking about and they don't know what they're doing. So I can totally see what she's saying being true. And going forward, that's something I'm going to try to make a conscious effort not to do. And I'm going to put forth an effort to try to teach those new hunters a little bit more that may help them be better at the sport. Best case, but worst case, teach them a few things that will help them to not tick off the other members of the hunting club or the other members of their hunting party. A second thing that I thought was interesting, and again, it makes perfectly good sense, is how important it was for Judy to have a woman as a mentor to teach her how to hunt. And I think that's extremely important. And Judy's right again. You know, we guys do have a different way of teaching. We have a different way of learning than women. And, you know, I can look at my own relationship at home and tell you honestly that I'm not 
the most patient person in the world when it comes to teaching my wife something that she doesn't know about but wants to know about, whether that's something in the yard or something around the house or whatever that may be that she's trying to learn how to do. I'm not always very patient. And so if we're not being patient with new hunters in the woods to try to teach them things, then it's going to be hard to keep them interested in the sport. But circling back around to this woman hunter wanting a woman mentor, you ladies who are listening to the show, this is a perfect opportunity and a perfect reason why we need you to sign up to be mentors, whether that's through the NWTF or that's through your state game and fish department, whatever it happens to be. Take the time, take an opportunity to take another woman out hunting. You know how much you enjoy it, so share it with someone else. Hey, my favor of the week is the same as it was last week. We have these awesome hunting seasons approaching very quickly with dove season, upland bird hunting, squirrel season, all of these very fun hunting opportunities are coming very quickly. So make time to take someone out hunting who has never been and take Judy's advice and be patient with that person. Make the trip about that person enjoying the day and enjoying the sport instead of that person harvesting an animal. Because the harvesting of the animal as we all know, is just icing on the cake. If I had gone fishing and spent four or five hours on the water with my dad this past Sunday morning, and we did not catch a fish, it still would have been an awesome morning for me. Pulling 30 fish in the boat was just icing on the cake. So that's the favor again this week, just like it was last week. Invite someone to go hunting and put it on your calendar. Make it happen. I'm going to do it this year, and I hope that you guys will as well. So that's it. That's all that I've got for you guys today. Thank you guys so much for tuning in this week. I know that you have choices. I appreciate you spending your time with us. I hope you have a wonderful week, and I look forward to seeing you again next week. Goodbye. Thanks for tuning in. You were just listening to the Turkey Hunter podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please go on over to iTunes and leave a five-star review. And make sure to head over to www.iamturkeyhunting.com to subscribe for free turkey hunting tips, tactics, strategies, and product reviews to help you have a more successful turkey season. And stay tuned for upcoming episodes on hunting afternoon birds, how to film your hunt, and the breeding cycle of hens, as well as some guest interviews. Thanks again for listening. We know your time is valuable, and we appreciate you sharing some of it with us. See you next week.